0: So for many of us, uh, those words are familiar. Maybe some of us grew up uh, attending church services in which it was traditional to recite the Apostles' Creed. Others of us, that might be uh, newer to us. But as a church family, we begin a series today called Ancient Faith. We're looking at the Apostles' Creed to remind us of some of the deep truths of Scripture. You have, I think, uh, received on the way in or in the back of the seat in front of you a copy of the Apostles' Creed. We also have it uh, actually up on the Uh, in the paintings here. uh, And we'll be reciting that in a a little uh, bit during our service today and throughout these weeks as we explore the truths found in the Creed. We do not uh, preach the Creed, rather the Creed reminds us of the Scriptures. We proclaim the Scriptures as God's Word, uh, but it serves as a reminder to us of the truths of Scripture. When we recite the Creed, when we engage with the Apostles' Creed, it serves as a reminder to the truths of Scripture and a refutation, a refutation of the counter-narratives that we hear every day. As we listen to the radio, as we uh, watch television, as we engage with movies or literature, we, are, we come into contact with counter-narratives or other stories or other accounts or other truths of the nature of the universe, and when we uh, remind ourselves of the creed, We remind ourselves of God's teachings and we refute those things that are false in our culture and in our society and in our world. The reciting of the creed also reminds us that we are part of an ancient faith. This creed is centuries old and has been recited by millions of Christians and today is recited by millions of Christians around the world. We're reminded not only are we part of an ancient faith but we are part of a global faith. Uh, Heads up, Spoiler alert, Jesus was not American. (laughs) Yep, I know, it's shocking. Uh, It's shocking that uh, Christianity didn't actually come from America. Uh, Christianity, a lot of people say, well, is, uh, you know, is uh, America a Christian nation? Well, I I guess, but I do know this, that Christianity is not inherently American. Christianity transcends all geopolitical boundaries, borders, and people groups because Christ is for all people. There's no culture that's a better fit for Jesus. Jesus is just for the whole world. And so we are a part of a global church. Even here at Desert Springs, uh, my wife and I, uh, a little while ago, off the top of our heads, Uh, came up with 13 nations of origin for members of this church family. And and I'm I'm quite sure that there's many, many more. Uh, But even within this local church family, we see the global nature of the church. And reciting the creed reminds us that we share much in common with Christians all around the world. In fact, I would encourage you to consider uh, joining me this Friday. We are having a, a special uh, a filming, a screening of a film. It's a documentary of uh, what Christianity today looks like in Syria and Iraq. It's a documentary of a, a Syrian American Christian who goes back to her hometown uh, in Syria and uh, showcases, kind of, firsthand what the gospel looks like on the ground today in Syria and in Iraq. And many of us are reminded uh, of the war in Syria. We've heard of places like Aleppo and seen many of the bombings. But uh, what's fascinating to me is that Jesus has been famous in Syria for 2,000 years. In the Gospel of Matthew, it specifically says that Jesus' fame grew all around Syria. And there has been a church in Syria, best as we can tell, uh, since the time of Christ. And so we are reminded that uh, what we participate within here today is tethered in a global faith, and I would encourage you to join me on Friday, 6 o'clock here. We're gathering with many other Christians from the valley. Uh, we'll have an ecumenical prayer service as well as the, uh, the screening of that film. That's Friday here in this room at 6 o'clock. The line of the creed that we're going to look at today is, uh, from my perspective, the most critical. And that's namely the, uh, the third line on your postcard. Uh, it says this, And in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, And we'll look to the book of Colossians, which is in your Bible in the New Testament. If you'd like a Bible and you don't have one with you today, there's some available on the tables in the back. You can also use a digital device We're using the English Standard Version. We'll have it up on the screen here in a minute. And we're going to be in Colossians 1, verses 15 through 20, as we look at these three uh, sections, Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. I'm going to read the text from Colossians 1, 15 through 20. And then we will get to the business of digesting it. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, In this text, we see in verse 18 that he is the head of the body of the church, the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. We have uh, Jesus here, uh, the head of the church. We have Jesus in this text uh, showing us that he is the promised one, the Messiah. And in the creed, it says Jesus Christ. So real quick, Christ is not Jesus' last name. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, so it's not his last name, it's his office or his title. Christ is what Jesus is. Jesus is the Christ. And I know that might sound weird to us, so uh, let me just take a minute and say that uh, that language of Christ, it's, it's basically an approximation or translation of Jesus the Messiah or the anointed one. It's very Jewish in its uh, root. And it speaks to this reality that throughout uh, human history, specifically history seen in the uh, Jewish scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures, what we would call the Old Testament or the Older Testament, one of the things that you see in those scriptures throughout human history is a longing for somebody to come and make things right, to bring justice and truth and righteousness to the world, to fix that which is broken. And this is the longing uh, for the Messiah, for the Anointed One. So Jesus Christ is saying that basically this, there are many Jesuses that have uh, existed, but this is a Jesus who is the Christ. There's one Jesus, the Christ, who is the Messiah, the Anointed One. And it reminds us that Jesus fulfills all of the longings of Scriptures that we see in Scriptures, all of the longings, the longings for a true great prophet who speaks God's truth clearly, accurately, and powerfully from whom we hear God's voice. He is a true and great priest who mediates on our behalf and brings us comfort and peace when we turn to him. And he is our true and great king who rules and reigns over the universe and power, which brings us peace if we but submit to him. He is our prophet, our priest, and our king. And we see that in that language of Christ. But in the language of Jesus, one of the things that we see, because Jesus is, uh, was, at the time at least, a common name. It's just kind of like John or James or uh, Jimmy, whatever. You know, it's just a common name. And in that common name of Jesus, one of the things that we're reminded about when we recite the creed and say, Jesus Christ our Lord, we're reminded of Jesus being God incarnate. Now, How many of you enjoy carne asada? Show of hands, please, church. How many of you enjoy a good carne asada? Okay, if you didn't raise your hands, good luck finding a new church. Um, (laughs) Sorry, something maybe is going on with your taste buds that might you need to seek some attention, uh, get some attention for it. So, well, you can look in the Bible and see if that's right or not. But uh, carne asada, right? What's carne? Meat. It's meat, right? Flesh, meat. Jesus is God incarnate or enfleshed. Uh, Some would even articulate it that he put himself into a prison, the prison of the body. (laughs) It's interesting. That the cosmic king and the uh, creator of the universe took on flesh. I want you to think for a moment about how profound that is. And it's at this point of the incarnation of Jesus Christ that we, we depart from other world religions and other views on the nature of God. Having God taking on flesh and dwelling among us, that's a uniquely Christian view. He comes not only to dwell among us, but to die for his own creation, a uniquely Christian view. And Jesus, it, God incarnate, God in the flesh, he says things like this. Uh, so all other religious leaders basically say Follow me, and I'm going to point you to the way. I'm going to point you to God. Follow me? So the majority of other uh, religious leaders say, Follow me, and I'm going to point you to God. I'm going to point you to the way. But Jesus shows up on the scene in flesh and says, I'm not pointing you to the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am God. In Christ, in the incarnation, you have something unique. You have a man claiming to be God. And claiming to be the God who dies for his enemies, who calls us to repent and to believe in that gospel, that good news. And many of us, we don't like that. We don't like Jesus' absolute claims to divinity or to kingship or to lordship. We don't like it when Jesus talks to us about these things. In fact, many of us would would say, well, you know, that's good for you. I like that you uh, think of God in that way. You can think of God in your way, but I prefer to think of God as fill in the blank." Have you guys ever heard that before? You know, you have your views on God, I have my views on God. You think God is this, but I prefer to think of God as. And let me just encourage you, if you're here today and you're trying to figure this whole Jesus thing out, man, I'm so glad that you're here. And and, and I want you to think uh, deeply about that idea, I prefer to think of God as. Uh, I I just want to ask you, um, do you like it when people do that to you? What I mean to say is, when you reveal yourself to somebody and say, this is how I am, do you like it when they uh, say, well, I prefer to think of you as, in fact, uh, my wife uh, and I, if we were talking to one another, which we do on occasion, and she were to say, and she were to say, um, you know, Caleb, I love Broadway, love it, I love Disney movies, uh, and I really like uh, HDTV, which, P.S., is... There's a third rung of hell for who came up with that TV show. (laughs) Prefer, what what did I say? Uh, We got, what do we got? We got Broadway. What do we got? Disney Disney movies. And what else was the other thing? HGTV. I said, okay, honey, I love you. And that's great. I'm hearing you. But I prefer to think of you as a woman who likes the Dallas Cowboys, (laughs) listens to Megadeth, and really wants her husband to have a 1991 Bronco with the top off. That's how I prefer to think of you. Now, my wife, being a lovely woman and also Sicilian, what would she do in response to me saying to her, you have told me these things, however, I prefer to think of you as? What would happen? A blade would be produced, and a corrective measure would be taken. That's all I'm gonna say. That's all I'm gonna say, right? Why? Because it's patronizing it's, it's insulting and it's not the truth. It's not a relationship. If you say, hey, you know what? You've said these things about yourself, but I prefer to think of you as, you're making that person into your own image or your own desires for them, not who they've revealed yourself to be. How dare we do the same thing to a God of the universe? If God has revealed himself in a certain way to say, well, you've revealed yourself in that way, but I prefer to think of you as, is the definition of making a God in your own image. By the way, that, that I prefer to think of God as, that you're never going to have a relationship with that being because that being will never contradict you. And in every human relationship, you get contradicted, right? You could say amen if the person next to you contradicts you sometimes, right? Any human relationship, you're going to be contradicted. You're going to have disagreements. You're going to have arguments. If we make God in our own, own image, that God will never contradict us. We see Jesus, God incarnate, Christ, the promised one, the Messiah, but also his only son, his only son. Verse 19, for in him, namely in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, pleased to dwell. Okay, so you have the fullness of God. So uh, there are some who believe in our culture today that Jesus is a created being, that Jesus uh, just started his existence 2,000 years ago. But according to the scriptures, we see that Jesus has eternally existed as God's son, one and only begotten son, our Lord, that he has eternally existed as God the son. The fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him. If you, you are you ready to get, just have your minds blown? Okay. Yeah, me too. Here we go. Check this out. Listen to these words. Okay, so TV timeout. Remember Easter? It was last week. So do you remember Easter? Okay. On Easter, we remembered... The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. One of the things that sometimes we'll do at Easter is we'll read through the gospel accounts. In the gospel account, after the resurrection of Jesus, you have Jesus showing up to different uh, people. One person he shows up to is a dude named Thomas, and he shows Thomas the nail scars, or the scars on his hands, okay? You with me? So I want you to think about those hands, okay? Uh, In fact, you might even look right over there at that painting. I know it's a little dark, but that painting, second from the left, you see what? two hands, and I don't know if you can see it, but there's uh, a scar on them. Okay, you follow me? Easter, hands, Thomas, the whole jam. Now I want you to, now, now, here we go. Speaking of Jesus, the one whose hands we're talking about now, it says this, for by him, Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Wait a tick. Hold on a minute. Wait, I thought the Genesis story was like over here and the Easter story is like over here. But what Colossians is tying together is creation and recreation. Listen to it again. For by him all things were created. TV time out, real quick. Uh, what falls under the category of all things? If a thing is a thing, it falls under the category of all things. Good. All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible things and invisible things, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. There's a reason, so by the way, I am super uh, glad that uh, Morgan, uh, who has painted these, has blessed our church family with these wonderful paintings to remind us of some of the imagery of the Apostles' Creed, but one of the things that she's done is she's placed right next to each other two sets of hands. One is the set of hands that is creating the universe and holding the universe together by the word of his power, and immediately next to it are two hands with nail scars in them, and I want you to notice that these are the same hands, you follow me? The Jesus that we celebrate on Easter is the agent of creation. So when we read, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, it's that same Jesus. Jesus isn't a lesser God. Jesus isn't a created being. Jesus is the eternally existing second person of the Trinity, the agent of creation, who holds the universe together with the word of his power. The same hands with nail scars in them currently were the same hands that formed creation. Do you see Boy, that makes Good Friday a big deal, doesn't it? Colossian ties together creation and new creation. N.T. Wright says this. He's a, uh, an author, a scholar, and a British person. <laughs> so he just sounds like an author and scholar inherently, but he also is one. He says this. The pre-existent Lord of the world has become Lord of the church in order to become Lord fully of the world, which he has made, but which has rebelled against him. The same Jesus, with nail scars in his hands, was the agent of creation. He is the eternally existing son. Now, I want you to think for a moment about that language, son, or the sonship of Jesus Christ. When Jesus, when the disciples asked Jesus, they said, Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? He said like this. Well, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, right? So he speaks of the first person of the Trinity, says that's God the Father, and Jesus is God the Son. So he refers to himself, you have this Father and Son relationship. And I want you to think just for a moment about the triune nature of God, namely that God is Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One God in three persons, not three gods. Not one God with three different hats. One God in three persons. It's unfathomable. We hear that and we say that's a paradox. Yep, I don't have anything else better for you. I mean, it is absolutely unfathomable and mind-blowing, and shouldn't that give us hope that we didn't make this God up? I mean, listen, if you can understand comprehensively everything there is to know about God, that's not God. That's some other thing. Rather, we enter into this relationship with God, our Father, the Creator, the King and Cosmos of the universe. Of course our thinking should terminate in mystery. That's why we sing every Sunday. Because God is unfathomable. And in the triune nature of God, God the Father and God the Son have revealed themselves to us in this relationship. I'm not saying that God the Father is gendered or that we should imagine him as a white-haired Caucasian with his finger being put out like that. I, I would actually advise you against that. Rather, we should think about the natures of fathers and sons and that's speaking to the depth of the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. Between God the Father and Jesus Christ, God's Son. And I want you to think about what the son has. The son has, in that culture especially, all the rights of the father. Especially if this is royalty, like namely a king and a prince. When the prince would speak, when the son would speak, he would be speaking with the voice of the father when on official business. Everything that is the father's is also the son's. Do you see the unity and relationship there? That this language of father and son is not speaking to us as if Jesus was somehow created, but rather he's been eternally begotten by God the Father in this relationship of God the Father and God the Son, and that makes our ears bleed. And how wonderful is that, that our God exceeds our capacities to comprehend. In Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. Look at verses 17 and 18. Excuse me. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Preeminent in everything. He is before all things. And I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. I want to camp out on that word for a minute here. Would you close your eyes for a minute and imagine with me? I'm not going to do anything crazy. <clears throat> Just imagine with me, if you would, in your mind's eye the type of power that it takes to hold the universe together. What type of power? What, what majestic, terrifying, wonderful, awe-filled power does it take to hold the universe together? Okay, back at me. The scripture says, Jesus tells us that that universe, that that power that holds the universe together, that power resides within him. And if it is true that Jesus is the one who holds everything together by the word of his power, Think about the immense nature of that power, and then ask yourself the question, is this person, namely Jesus, someone to be trifled with? Is this someone who I bring into my life to simply be my personal assistant in areas that I feel like I don't have any control over, namely, fixing my spouse? You see, many of us will come to church, will come to Jesus saying, Jesus, there's something broken in my life. I need you to fix it. And if we find healing in that thing, we discard Jesus as a product that we use rather than a Lord that we submit to. We have the temptation in this consumeristic, individualistic society to make Jesus a product that we apply to the areas of our soul that we feel are currently broken. But here in this text, there's no halfway with Jesus. Either he's Lord of all or he's Lord of nothing. The claims that Jesus has made, they're not to be trifled with, friends. So either Jesus is who he says he is, which means that he's the Lord of the universe, or he's a liar or he's nuts, in which case, what are, you, what are we doing? Now, if he is who he says he is, which, spoiler alert, he is, if he is who he says he is, then we have two responses to his lordship. There's this thing that some Christians say, and I don't, it kind of bothers me. I hear some people saying, and if you said it, I'm not mad at you. I might be for other reasons, but not for this. <clears throat> um, it, it, I hear people say things like, have you made Jesus Lord of your life yet? Right? You're a Christian now, but have you made Jesus Lord of your life yet? Or something along those lines. And I just want to uh, encourage you to think about this. You don't make Jesus Lord of anything. Like we don't get to make Jesus the Lord of anything. He is the Lord of all, and what we choose to do is either submit to that kingship, that lordship, or live in act of rebellion against it. That's it. I don't make Jesus the Lord of my life. He is the Lord of my life. I'm either in submission to His Lordship, or I'm in rebellion against it. That's it. So where are you at? Some of us are still trying to figure the whole Jesus thing out. And man, I know, I know how that goes. I've, sit, I, I've been in your seat before. I, not, maybe not the actual seat, but like I've been, like 16 years ago, I was in this audience listening to people say these types of things and I was wrestling with it. And I, could, I had a lot of reasons why I did not want to submit to Jesus, why I did not want to be a Christian, why I didn't want to, to repent from my sin and believe in the gospel. And a lot of those reasons are sitting in the seats right now. I know what it's like, but listen, the claims that Jesus has made, the life that he has lived, the way that he has dramatically shaped human history, it begs a legitimate, weighty response. Jesus is not one to be trifled with. He is the Lord. Where are you at with the Lord? If this is true, friends, if this is true, then this good enough gospel, this idea that I have to be good enough in order to earn God's favor is absolutely false. There is no such thing as being good enough. Christ is the one who has given his life for you, so you, do, you can get off the moral treadmill of trying to be good enough. Simply embrace God's love and grace. And if this is true also, there is no sin too great to separate you from God. Perhaps in your life today, all you feel is decay or hostility to the world or despair or frustration or confusion or this sense of not being grounded in anything. If this is true that Jesus is who he says he is, there is hope for you. And Jesus says to believe in him. Now, friends, listen, Jesus is not waiting for your accomplishment, Jesus is not looking for moral accomplishment. He's not looking for you to accomplish something. He's begging you to accept something, to accept the finished work of the cross. Will you? If Jesus is the Lord of the universe, then that is terrifying. It's terrifying. It's terrifying. If Jesus is the Lord of the universe, it's terrifying because it means that he sees right through me. It means that he appropriately and accurately judges my rebellion against him, which is horrifying because if he truly is just, then he will meet that justice out on me unless Easter is true. If Easter is true, if the thing that we celebrated last week is actually legitimate, then the gospel of Jesus Christ is magnificent, peace-filled, hope-filled, grace-filled, joy and good news for all who accept it. But there may be those of us who have heard this good news and we will continue to deny it or rebel against it. There are two Modes of operating when it comes to Jesus. To repent and believe in the finished work of the cross, submitting ourselves to Jesus as our King, Creator, our Lord, our Savior. Or it's to rebel and to turn to something else to be our King, our Creator, our Lord, and our Savior. And Jesus is gracious. And friends, he is a pursuing God that is perhaps pursuing you right now, calling you to repent from sin and believe in the gospel. But I, wanna, I want to point to something that Jesus said or taught. That this call to repent and to believe is not an eternal option for us. There will come a day when God brings about his justice and wrath. And for all who continue in their rebellion, who do not repent and believe in the gospel. On that day, we will not have an offer of grace, but rather we will have a sentence of judgment and justice. And Jesus says this, right? I'm not trying to make this up to try to scare you or anything like that. I'm just saying, Jesus says this. He says it a lot, in fact. If you read through the Gospels, he's consistently talking and saying things like, don't just fear people who can destroy the body, but fear the one who can destroy the body and soul. in Hades, speaking of God. And so I plead with you today, If Easter is legitimate, which it is, and Jesus is who he says he is, which he is, then there is hope and life and peace in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But friends, on the same token, there is despair, decay, and hostility and rebellion from Jesus. There's this um, statement in the scriptures that says, choose ye this day whom you will serve. Will you choose today how you will respond to Jesus? There's a song that is a very old song that Christians have sung for uh, about 1,100 years. It's an old Irish song. We'll sing it in English in just a minute. It says this, Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that thou art. Thou my best thought, by day and by night. Waking or sleeping, thy presence my light. High King of heaven, my victory won. May I reach heaven's joys, bright heaven's sun. Heart of my own heart, whatever befall. Still be my vision. What? O ruler of all. Friends, the ruler of all has given his life for you. And he calls you to repent of his sin and believe in the gospel. In that you will find life and life abundant. As a church family, may that be our vision. I'm gonna pray and in just a moment we are going to stand together and recite the creed. Would you join me now as we pray? Lord Jesus, we give you thanks for the many ways that you provide for us, for our time, for our energy, for our mental capacities and the ability to engage in your word. We pray now as we think through and as we meditate on what it means that you are Lord of all, that you would give us wisdom and insight, that you would draw us closer relationally to you. For those here today who are still trying to figure this whole Jesus thing out, Lord, we pray that you would draw them near, that you would bring them peace and understanding. We pray, Lord, that as a church family we would reflect your love, your grace, and your mercy to one another to this community and to those around the world. We pray this in Jesus' mighty and awesome name, amen. Friends, would you stand with me as we recite the creed? Uh, If you are a follower of Jesus Christ and would like to, I'd invite you to join us as we recite the creed. If you're still trying to figure the whole Jesus thing out or you just don't wanna recite the creed, feel free to just stand there uh, in silence as we recite this together. Here's how we're gonna do this is um, Got it up on the screen and also in the card uh, in front of you. Uh, I would, uh, I'm going to invite you to follow me, and we will, but we will be saying it together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified. Dead and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins